my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a fantastic weekend. Uh, I had a good weekend. I did some fishing uh, with my brother on, uh, on Saturday. Then we uh, we all watched the, uh, the UFC fights. Well, bad fights. Disappointing fight card. But it was, it was all right. Hopefully you guys had a good one and spent time with family and friends and all that good stuff. Uh, great show today. I was joined by my buddy Drew Holden. Uh, you guys know Drew. You love Drew. Uh, always a great time tra- talking to Drew. Uh, we we brought the heat today. We got a little uh, got a little fired up. Uh, hopefully, I didn't yell at you too much. I, I appreciate you if you uh, have your earbuds turned up all the way. You might want to dial it back a little bit. Just fair warning. Um, before we get to Drew, uh, guys, uh, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your audio podcasts. Uh, if you're on iTunes, please do give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, all right, without further ado, here's my chat with the great Drew Holden. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Drew Holden. Drew, how you doing? Brady, man, I'm doing great. Um, I'm I, I'm coming off of an interesting weekend of consuming far too much news after a little bit of time away. So it's been uh, it, it's been an interesting uptick to come right back to. But I'm, I'm breathing, man. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. I actually had a pretty relaxing weekend. I, you and I were talking last week. Um, and we're both like, man, I hope we, we both calm down <laughs> over the weekend. We're just going to be yelling at the audience on today's show. I, I can't say I've calmed down very much. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I unfortunately am in a similar boat. I think I've, I, I've taken a few breaths uh, at least last night into this morning. So I'm, my, my decibel level has dropped slightly, but probably not as much as it should have. Yeah, man. So look, before we jump in, we have a lot to cover. Obviously, the violence. I want to go cover the you know the the last day of the RNC last week. Um, but first off, just first things first, man. I, I never thought I'd say this, but I cannot wait uh, to to vote for J- Donald J. Trump and Mike Pence on, <laughs> on November third. Like, I, look, I, I was always planning on on voting for him. Uh, I, I voted for him reluctantly in, in twenty sixteen. I voted against him in the primary, and then and then voted for him in the general. Um, sure. But I, yeah, I've never been like a huge fan. But I was planning on voting for the guy. But dude, I'm all in. Like I, I I'm like the Democrats make me want to buy all the MAGA hats in the world. I mean, like I'm, I, I, I'm at the point where I think it's extraordinarily important that Donald Trump wins a second term, and sure. I, I'm, I will be enthusiastically pulling the lever for him on November third. Yeah, man, I don't think you're alone. You know, like there's, you know. We've seen what's going on, and I know we're going to get to it, but we've seen what's going on in cities across the country. We've seen the incredibly flaccid response from the Democrats, and I think there are a lot of people who are in a similar boat. Who are, you know, there. It's it's easy to pretend on Twitter that what's going to animate people is like, ooh, like this might violate the Hatch Act. But I think real people <laughs> who aren't super tapped into these conversations, what they're looking at, and they're like, holy shit, I hope this violence doesn't spread to my suburb. Yeah, man, I don't think anybody complaining about the Hatch Act knows what the Hatch Act is, but... Or <laughs> <laughs> honestly cares about it, let's be clear. Yeah, I mean, it was a fun drinking game uh, over the last <laughs> week, you know, drink when they bring up the Hatch Act, but uh, let's go back to, to late last week. Obviously, on Mondays, there's just way too much to cover in a, in a short amount of time, but um, let, let's talk about the last day of the RNC. 
on Thursday. I, I try to avoid other like conservative commentators before discussing something I know I have to cover on the podcast. I don't want my opinion to be, you know, influenced. But I, I, I have seen that a lot of uh of of commentators and podcasters and so forth didn't really like Trump's speech. Um, they, they said it wasn't very good and too long and everything else. And and yeah. watching it live, I'll tell you, I actually had the opposite reaction. I mean, I thought Trump gave a pretty great speech. It was long. Um, yeah. I, th- I mean, I'd love for like just we could just pass a law saying all political speeches have to be under 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel the same way at church. Like, I don't think like a oh, pastor's God, sermon no. should be over. Like th- you can say anything you need to say in 30 minutes. I mean, it's just yep. let, let's be honest. But, but I thought he did a, a very good speech. And I thought the rest of the speeches were great. Obviously, there was Alice Johnson, uh, who, who Trump pardoned. Um, mm-hmm. uh, There's Ann Dorn, the widow of, of David Dorn. I thought that was extraordinarily effective. Yep. Uh, yes. Even Ivanka Trump, who's, I don't think, a, a very great speaker, but she just talked about her father as, you know, the human being, not so much the president. I thought that was good. Right. And then Trump's good, very long, but but good speech to wrap it up. Honestly, I, I don't think the GOP could have asked for, for a better week. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I feel broadly the same way. You know, I, I, I agree the speech did seem to drag at the end of it. Um, and, you know, I think some of it, I think the commentary is probably skewing in that direction, in part because, like, we've all got Twitter brain a little bit. You know, right. we've, we've been watching these conventions. The speech is relatively short and people are half watching them and half following their Twitter feed. And so any long speech is going it, to it, it's going to it's going to rub people the wrong way in a way it probably wouldn't have a year or two or three ago before this thing was as as monstrous as it is now. But, yeah, I mean, it seemed like a good speech. And listen, the man is the president of the United States giving the final speech at his nominating convention. I'm okay giving him a little bit more time. I agree. I think he should have wrapped it up sooner, but like, whatever, it's fine. And I, I think one of the things that made it made me more okay with it running long is that leading up to that, the effort really was to humanize him. It was to humanize him and his platform and then allow him the opportunity to speak about it. And I definitely agree. I think that you had a lot of people who register with most people as everyday Americans who have been impacted in a lot of ways in very, very unique ways, right? who are up there speaking and humanizing and talking about the real sorts of kitchen table issues that matter to them. And so for Trump to then get up and kind of paint the broader picture, uh, grading on a curve, as we always do, I think, with Trump's speeches, I thought he did a good job. And I think you're right. I think on the whole, the convention, I get the numbers weren't there if you only look at the the television viewers, but it seems like the, the RNC couldn't have asked for much more. Yeah, it looks like the streaming numbers were, were really good um, Yeah, for the GOP compared to the the, the DNC. Um, I, you know, I had Kim Klasik on the show last Wednesday and uh, after her speech, at, I think on Tuesday at the RNC. And and I, I talked about this with her that, you know, I, I mean, obviously Trump did hit Biden pretty good. You know, he made fun of him for, you know, like nose humping children and stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and all that stuff. But like uh, overall, the, the theme of the RNC was was very optimistic. It's, you know, our, our best days are ahead of us. And look at all these American success stories and. Look right. at this old lady that we freed from prison for, you know, drug crimes. You know, all, all this, all this stuff. And, you know, no, we're not going to defund the police. We're gonna, you know, we we're gonna support the police. And it's all this like positive, optimistic stuff, as opposed to like the the DNC that it was all like, you suck, America sucks, America's yeah. racist, you're racist, your mom's racist, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I, exactly. I, just the messaging, the contrast between the messaging is is pretty stark, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And it, I think the, one of the things that really struck me is that. There, it, it seemed like there were probably a lot of pre-written headlines about what was going to be said oh, yeah. at the RNC about it, this like dark and foreboding picture that just didn't. <laughs> and like this happened, this happened at the Mount Rushmore speech too. Like it, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't track what was actually said. If the guy's up there and talks for what was it, like 65 minutes, maybe longer, like I'm sure you can pull out components of it that are talking about the violence that's you know convulsing cities, certain Democrat-led cities across the country. 
but like on the whole, I agree. It didn't seem like this was the sort of thing that was meant to be this dark, ominous, uh, vote us, give us another another four years or else things will, will fall off the rails and be terrible sort of speech. Um, and yet the headlines all made it sound like that was the case. Of course. I mean, that's, you know, par for the course for the corporate yeah. press. But obviously the, the big story of the, this past week is all the violence, man. Mm-hmm. You know, cities are burning. Kenosha, Wisconsin's gone at this point. Um I mean, new details have emerged uh, in the in the Jacob Blake case uh, video yeah. has shown that Blake was brawling with the cops. He he attacked the cops. Uh, they, they tried to tase him and either he shrugged it off or the taser didn't work. Uh, the cops were responding to a domestic violence call, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, and then Blake yeah. walked, walks away from the cops with the cops guns drawn on him. He, he turns his back, walks away from the cops, uh, reaches into his car where he did have a knife uh, before being shot by the police. I don't, you know. I'm sure even more details than that will come out eventually, but I don't see any scenario where uh, you could convict the police officer for that. I mean, whether it was overkill or not, I mean, he was, that that cop's going to walk. I mean, that's, that's just, that's just a fact. And then the other case out of Kenosha, the, with uh, the conservative with the AR-15, Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, who the left and the press, you know, they, they claimed he was a white supremacist murderer with absolutely no evidence. Well, it turns out, Um, once again, the press lied, uh, you know, it turns out three men attacked him. A man shot at him. Uh, he returned fire, killing two of the attackers and wounding the third. Once again, everything the press has said over the last week regarding Kenosha, Wisconsin, everything they've said is a bald faced lie and American cities, not just Kenosha, several American cities burned because of the lies of the press. This is all the fault of the press. If we had a real press, a real free press, none of this would have happened over the last week. Yeah. And I mean, you would have I think one of the things that that has been really, really troubling in Kenosha and in other places is you've got this rather than an effort to be accurate. You've got a huge rush to jump on whatever the narrative that's coming out as. Right. Like I, I remember I saw, I think, it was Ayanna Presley, representative from Massachusetts, who within moments of the news breaking had had deduced that it was a 17 year old white supremacist who had murdered who had murdered these protesters who were just hanging out and, and, and standing by. And unfortunately, the, as more details came out, it really did, it just trounced the narrative. And the problem is the narrative is still there. It's still out there, right? And like, we've now got video and uh, credit where due, the New York Times actually put together a really, really imp- impressive thread, their visual team that broke down what had happened without the bias, without the bullshit to talk through, like the, we, we synced up six live streams and here's what we saw that if that had been, if that had been the lead story, it would be, wow, this is a really complicated case. Um, and unfortunately, that came out like a day or two because these things take time and energy. But it came out a day or two after the narrative had been built. And it's and you're right. The, the, the other problem is that it's an accelerant. Whenever these things come out, whether or not they're true, they galvanize people to go out and act in a certain way. Right. And so you see increases in violence. You see increases in um, in looting and destruction and things like that that are all based on bullshit. What does the left want? I mean, if if murderous communists are trying to kill you, do they want you to just die? I, I really think they do. I, I don't think the left wants. I mean, they 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 charge this kid Kyle Rittenhouse with murder. Yeah. He's gonna get Which off. Is... I mean, he'll walk. I mean, I know he yeah. has a good legal team and everything, but um, they're gonna try to railroad him, and and I pray to God they fail. But I mean, they don't want you to be able to defend yourself. They don't want you to be armed, and they don't want you to shoot back. They want the the communists to come in to kill you, and well, that's it. Well, you're dead. I mean, that's yeah. what they want. I, 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 don't, I don't really see another alternative here. And, and the thing is, a lot of conservatives and, and even libertarians are uncomfortable with Kyle Rittenhouse defending himself. And I'm not 
quite yeah. sure why. I mean, uh, like it, it's funny, and yeah, I saw a lot of conservatives even retweeting Andrew Yang when he tweeted, uh, you know, nobody should expect to be shot at a protest. Uh, no, that, that's that's just not true, sir. If you if you uh, if you're bringing aggression upon somebody, you should absolutely expect to die. Like if you were, if you were attacked, if you were bringing force upon somebody who had not first brought force upon you, you should expect fully expect to be shot and killed. And I don't think this young man did anything wrong. Yeah, you know, I I think in some ways, maybe in a way, uh, I think I'm probably more sympathetic to at least some of the folks who are saying that. You know, there's there, it's messy, right? I think that the thing that that trips me up, and I think part of this is you have to be able to hold two ideas in your head simultaneously. Is what is like? Why was this this young man there? And he, I, I'm not worked, sure I've got worked, it clear. Yeah, he worked, but there did, but is, is that true? I'm yeah. I'm not positive. The, the details, at least I remember that I had seen when it came out, is that like he? It, it sounds like he had kind of taken it upon himself to be there, which I think is what conservatives were uncomfortable with. I don't know that that's true. Is that um, bad? I mean, I look. I, I mean, I get well, yeah, it. I mean, that's the thing. That's I think that that becomes the more esoteric question of like, is that is that wrong? And you know, I think I, I mean, think I saw someone say something to the point of like, when government fails, which yes, is, uh, very obviously they did. Yes. when government fails to keep the peace, then like, what what do reasonable citizens do? So I think for me, what I'm still struggling with that question in part because, as far as I understand the law, it was illegal for him to be open carrying under eighteen. Change the law. Yeah, I mean, dude, I, I, like, I, I'm, fuck I'm that. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, but, but like, that's that's what gives me pause. But I yeah. think what what ended up happening as a result of that from too many conservatives and certainly a whole host of liberals was, therefore, like his life is somehow forfeit as a result of that, right? It's like, well, I mean, if he's he's there, and again, like the broader thing is it it it's crammed in to fit their narrative. There was like there were a ton of inaccuracies that came out of there. One of the big ones was that he had been shooting black protesters. There were four people involved. All of them were white. They're all white. Extremely and, white, and so the, the 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 attempt to to fit this into this white nationalist framing and mentality is just such like not even thinly veiled. It is naked bullshit to try and frame it as such. And the the reality is, it's real fucking complicated. We don't like there there were shots fired. We don't know. I think some of the original shots. We don't know what the original shots were. We don't know whether or not he had reason to to fire his gun the first time, but it sure seems like he probably did. And then for me, the one that isn't complicated at all are the last the last two people he shot. One of whom was killed. The other was was injured but not killed. Who were very like they chased him down. They very obviously meant to do him severe bodily harm, if not death. One of the guys walked up, pistol drawn. And was yeah. a millisecond away from shooting him in the head. Yes. What's, like, you're right. Like, what the fuck could you reasonably expect anyone to do in response to that? And it's either lay down and die or do what he did. And if your response is, when confronted with in the face of death, you should be expected to just die. If that's the point you're trying to sell to everyday Americans, then you're not, you then you're not an American. Much. I mean, that's the most un-American yeah. thing I, yeah, I could exactly. ever think of. Exactly. You're right. And, and look, I mean, it is, it, we have, Video evidence that he did not fire first. I mean, he was returning fire. Yeah. He was shot at first, and then he was cracked over the head with a skateboard first. And I just don't understand what these leftists, what these communists expect, man. I mean, like, if you if you take a skateboard and try to knock somebody unconscious with it, what, the, the man's holding an AR-15. Like, why would you bring a skateboard to an AR-15 fight? Like, yeah, I just don't— exactly. I, Like, what—the fact that these, these, these Antifa or Black Lives Matter or whatever the heck they were— that they didn't expect to die baffles my mind. Like, I, 
I have the utmost respect for firearms. I'm a, I'm a longtime gun owner. I'm sure you are as well. You know, I'm I'm strapped up. I respect anybody with a gun. Okay, mm-hmm. the fact that these, what I just don't understand what they expect. Okay, and and we'll we'll get to this in a second. But Saturday night in Portland, Black Lives Matter executed a Trump supporter for being a Trump supporter. Okay, let, let me just let me say that again. I'll just say that sentence again. Saturday night in in Portland, Black Lives Matter executed a Trump supporter in cold blood simply because the guy was a Republican. And then they celebrated in in a group of hundreds of people cheering, chanting "Death to America." That mm-hmm. no joke. That actually happened. Yeah. Right. And and by burning American flags. But here's the thing, and it goes back to these three men that tried to kill, who tried to murder uh, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Do you really want this? Like, I, I get that these people think they want a civil war, but there are tens of millions of Kyle Rittenhouses in every state. Look, I do not, I do not want the the Jesse Kelly piece from the Federalist a couple years ago that keeps getting dragged back up. How we need a national divorce and it's just untenable and all that. Yeah, I don't believe yeah. that. I think we can Me get either. through this. But I'm urging. I've said this before. I'm urging the left to disarm, to back down. I'm telling you, you might think you want a civil war, but you don't. You'll lose. Like yeah. I, we are, we on the right are so, by orders of magnitude, better at violence <laughs> yes. than the left is. Yes. We have all the guns. We have all the ammunition. We know how to throw punches, man. Yeah, like, exactly. dude, oh, you don't want it. You don't want it. You're going to get some Kyle Rittenhouse to the face unless you and, back down. Because we're yeah. not disarming. We will never lay down our arms. They need to. Or, the, or yeah. there's going to be a lot of dead Democrats, man. And, and I don't want that. Nobody yeah, God, wants of course, this. Me either. And that's the thing. And like, you know, I think what, you know, in over the weekend in Portland, I think we saw pretty obviously that the people who are raising the temperature and raising the volume on these things are of the left. It's yes. the Antifa slash BLM slash, you know, the, the, the professional rider class who are doing this. Right. And so I, I think, you know, unfortunately, obviously you're right. One, but two, like if it were if, if we were in a situation where you had these like hard like way off the map right wing white nationalist groups who were assembling and massing and burning buildings and looting whatever i would say you know what um that it's on us to stop that you would think right like if the if the worst elements of your side of the political spectrum are the ones who are driving this thing then i think that the the problem is incumbent on you to take the effort to solve it's it's the reverse i mean like these it's not it's not even the extreme right wing folks who are causing these problems. The people who are murdering people, right? Like let's, you can, you should be able to stop there. The people who are committing domestic terrorism, who are metering out violence against people who don't agree with them are of the left. That is the situation we find ourselves in. And so when we're talking about walking back from that break point and walking back from a point of a, nat- a national divorce, which I agree with you, I don't think is, I don't think is something that needs to happen or will happen. But when it comes to turning down the temperature, it's got to be incumbent on the Joe Bidens to be able to do that, or at least take the initiative and the onus to do so. You're absolutely right, and uh, I'm not going to read not going to read the whole thing or anything. But Joe Biden's quote unquote condemnation of the violence was just an absolute disgrace, and he, he basically his statement was essentially blaming the president, uh, which is insane. And then go figure. And then look and look. I thought that I would calm down enough to not say this on the podcast <laughs> today, but I'm going to say it. I mean, Joe Biden was engaging in terrorist tactics. He, he was engaging in what 
I think we have to call domestic terrorism. He essentially said that the violence will continue unless you elect him president of the United States. That's... if ISIS wrote his statement, <laughs> okay, yeah. well, how would different would it be? I mean, that is those are terrorist those are terrorist tactics, Drew. Are they not? No, I mean, I I'm having a hard time disagreeing with you. You know, like there's if if it's a thinly veiled threat of you know the the beatings will continue until morale improves and you vote the way that you're supposed to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a hostage crisis. It's a political hostage crisis. One and two, like even beyond that. It's not. It's not going to work, right? Like it's not. It, it, no. I, I think the the average American voter, and I know this is a point that's lost on the press, but I think the average American voter is smarter than to recognize that as a a fate accompli sort of choice. Boy, you know, I like that's so. that's not that's not really what's what's confronting our country right now. And so, I I don't get it. I don't understand. And we you know, we, were, we were talking a little bit earlier, but I. I just think the tune is going to change on that real quick. That'll be focus grouped out of existence. That'll be pulled out of existence. And the, the most recent polls are terrible for Biden. You know, I don't know if you saw this morning, but the betting markets drew even for, for Trump and Biden based on real clear poll averages. And I think that they're going to realize that the reason, like, the, it, I think it will be inescapable. And I'll, pre- I'll predict this knowing that there's a plenty good chance that I'm wrong, but I think it will become inescapable and the numbers will bear out that the decline in public support for Black Lives Matter, particularly in Wisconsin, but more broadly across the country, and the evaporation of Joe Biden's lead in the polls are going to be really tightly paired. And assuming that's the case, you got to assume that Biden has enough competent people around him to be able to, to pivot accordingly. Uh, but I think, I think that tune is going to change real quick. No, I think you're absolutely 100% correct, but we cannot forget that they did this. Like we cannot no, yes. we cannot forget this statement by Joe Biden. We cannot forget that the press and the Democrats have engaged in what has to be considered domestic terrorism in the last week or so. They're all saying, you know, the violence will stop, we'll keep killing you. We'll keep beating you. We'll keep burning your businesses down unless you vote for Democrats. We can ne- even if they walk every single syllable of it back. We yeah. cannot forget that these people tried to do this to us. We do not negotiate with, with these people. I mean, they, we, they, this is a hostage situation. Even if they walk it all back, we cannot. They deserve to lose every election in November from dog catcher all the way up to president. The Democratic Party deserve. I, I don't give look. We got some good policies out of the Trump administration. We got a lot of bad policies. The spending's through the roof. I don't know how. I, what, what's the national debt? You know, twenty-six trillion. It's this is bonkers. Okay, yeah. and it's, and only been, going up. Oh, trillion. And a only year. going up. And and we haven't ended any wars in the Middle East. And there's a lot of good and a lot of bad in the Trump administration. I'm not even talking about policy. I'm talking about the Democrats can't win. They they cannot learn, and the press cannot learn. I think the the press is actually more malicious um, than the Democrats are. But they cannot learn that they can hold the nation hostage with violence. I mean, that is evil. I mean, how evil you have to be to try to hold your fellow countrymen hostage, saying we will let violent, degenerate communists kill you unless you vote for Democrats. If they win in November, it sets an extraordinarily dangerous precedent moving forward, and that cannot happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, it's. It's a situation, too, where assuming Trump wins re-election, which I'm, I, I become more confident by the day that that's the case. I've been saying that, I think, for a long time now. I'm, I'm feeling better about it. 
in the I, last I, week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the last couple of weeks, and and you know, if there if there's anything that the Democrats are able to do, it is steal defeat from the jaws of victory. And I have a feeling that they'll the coming into twenty you know twenty eighteen twenty nineteen, it was obvious. Early twenty twenty, once Biden was able to marshal the support of the party, it was obvious. Blah 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 blah. But I think where we will end up finding ourselves is with four more years of Trump. And if you think the riots are bad now, um, imagine another two months of Democrat winking a nod towards those riots and then take the reaction to 2016 and turbocharge it with the reality that they know they're not going to face any consequences from from violence and murder and looting. That's not a good recipe. I want to get to the a topic that I I want to end the show with something that kind of the main point of the show, too. Um, you know, obviously you're and I don't want to mischaracterize your your, you know, your position. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're more of a, a mainstream, like a Ronald Reagan conservative. And I, I'm more mm-hmm. of a Calvin Coolidge, like minarchist libertarian yeah. kind of conservative, you know? So like we, we tip, you know, you and I typically want all the same things, obviously, you know, property rights, you know, individual liberty, free market, stuff sure. like that. But sometimes we have a, you know, different tactics on, on how to get there. Um, and, but I, I don't think there's that divide right now with mm-hmm. 99% of conservatives and libertarians. I think we're all on the same page. And uh, and I, I I might piss off some some hardline, you know, quote-unquote purist uh, libertarians, but I think we're, most of us, most I can't speak for everybody, most of us are 100% on page that the mob must be put down with overwhelming force. Yeah. Okay, I mean, they, they need to be put down. These dogs, some dogs need to be put down, brother. And these yeah. violent communists need to be put down, arrested, if they're trying to kill you, kill them. They need to be put down with force. I mean, the mob went after Rand Paul and his wife yeah. Thursday night. I mean, right. Rand Paul wrote the Justice for Breonna Taylor Act, which yep. would end no-knock raids. Yeah, and which, they, again, would be great legislation. Would yes! Would be a great thing to do and would, you know, what you, you talk about the Say Her Name movement and things like that. Like, what could be... Like, if, if what you really want to do is seek some measure of justice for Breonna Taylor, who was, like, to pause for a second, who was unjustly executed by the state, as far as I'm concerned. Like, I think yes. it's among the more egregious things. Yes. Uh, and, and and so if you what you were really trying to do is have some sort of recompense for her death from a, through a policy lens, what better way to do it than to get rid of the unjustifiable, deeply unconstitutional, phenomenally problematic political or police tactic that directly caused her death. Yes. Like what, what Rand Paul and don't get me wrong. I am very, as you know me, like I am hesitant to give Rand Paul or, or, or plenty of other libertarians credit for nearly enough, but he's spot on on this one. And so for all people to target, to have it be the person in certainly in the Senate, probably in elected life who has done the most, the most. right, left or right, left or otherwise, yes. who has done the most for these issues in any sort of substantive way, rather than shout at police officers, it, it, it's rampant and it's not close. Yeah. And by the way, this is the third time in three years the Demo- Democrats have tried to murder Rand Paul. It seems like they give up. I mean, this man yeah, just won't God. die. Uh, yeah, seriously. He's 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 invincible, it seems. Um, the, the Democrats yeah. really and, want him dead. But And again, this is what this is what I popped off the other day on Twitter about. So, so first off, you're right. I think you're right. I don't think there's any daylight here. Um, and I think part of it is like this is this should be a very commonsensical response. The chief 
responsibility of a government is to provide safety and security for its people. Right. That's it, right? That's that's the bare bones. And you can fight with the libertarians about who's going to build the roads or whatever. But what everyone agrees on or should agree on, right, left, libertarian, otherwise, is that the chief role of government is to provide safety and security, some measure of safety and security that is acceptable and tolerable to a society. We don't have that in Portland. We don't have that in a lot of cities across the country right now. And it's deliberate, right? Yes. Ted Wheeler knows that it's not there. He has an out to be able to change it. And he's he is deliberately not taking that out. He knows what's going on here. And so I think most like conservatives, because there's not I don't think there's any skin in the game for us to su support a guy like Ted Wheeler, can step back and say, this is absurd. This is dangerous and this is bad. And he needs to do this. And I think even a lot of people on the left, even if they're not speaking up about it, have to be able to recognize and respect that, too. But I think, it, you know. Uh, it's And it, it amazes me that that's not the case. The one other thing within that, though, particularly with the Rand Paul stuff that blows my mind is we have thousands and thousands of people across the across the media who have done a very I'll call it good, for lack of a better word. But they've done a very thorough job of connecting potential like of phenomena and the backdrop and tying that to real world events and making those important. Sometimes I think it's bullshit. Like I'm not particularly interested or captivated by the idea that crossword puzzles are racist, but someone <laughs> out there is able to tie, tick and tie those two ideas together, right? That, that is, that is an intellectual exercise that plenty of people on the left are willing to engage in, to write, to read, to talk about what have you. But somehow when a man who is, when a man who survived an assassination attempt along with dozens of elected Republicans from a deranged Democrat former campaign person is attacked by a mob in his own city, somehow that parallel gets lost. That was three years ago, not even three years ago. And yet somehow there is no connection between the congressional baseball shooting from 2017 and what we're seeing in American cities and the cause for concern. And it's, blows my mind that there is no one out there saying, hey, you know what, if I were Rand Paul, if I if there were people who were consistently trying to kill me, um, I, I I might respond that way. I mean, I, it's it's tough um, looking at either the, the little press coverage there is. And, uh, you know, there's really not much. But I mean, it's I, try, Drew convince me that the press doesn't want Rand Paul dead. <sighs> I mean, like, I don't know, man. I know that's a little bit hyperbolic. I might be taking a little too far, but I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> they, I, don't, they seem, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the reality is you see that, and like the worst, and, and and trust me, I've got the screenshots. They'll they'll be coming out eventually. But like, part of the really terrible part was the like the the galaxy brain blue checks who were like, oh, they didn't even touch him. He was like show like somebody somebody was like show us your injuries. I was like, are you are you fucking kidding me? Like we have done an absolute intellectual exercise to make things violence that aren't violence, and yet when we're staring down politically motivated violence against an elected official, somehow the V word is off the table, and it is mind boggling to me that that's the case. And I think I think what what it boils down to, dialing back your hyperbole a little bit, is that people don't really give a shit. Right. Like maybe they'll give a shit if they had got to him and killed him or harmed him. But if it's just the threat or just an almost attempt at his life, that's not good enough. They, I don't they don't care enough. I don't know if the left understands this. I'm going to keep getting even more hyperbolic. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Look, here's the thing. Rand Paul is a ardent gun enthusiast and gun owner. I know he has, you know, ARs and, and, and you know, all, all sorts of weapons. I don't know if the left understands that 
in a lot of, you know, at the same time they're saying that they want to defund the police. I don't know if they understand that in a lot of these situations, the police are protecting the violent communists, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guarantee you if the cops, if the Capitol Police were not there and this mob attacks Rand Paul's wife, he would have no issue turning around and blowing them. They, they'd be they'd meet Jesus that night. OK, like the, the, the cops being there. Yes, of course, they protected the senator and his wife. But I don't know, man. Rand was probably strapped up. And uh, I, mean, I hope. But was he? He was just at the they, White House. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he was leaving the White House. So maybe that's not the best example, but <laughs> but in a lot of <laughs> but, these other in a lot of these other riots, like I wonder if they understand. Yeah. Like I, I think the cops are protecting the the violent commies just as much as they're protecting the you know the right wingers. Yeah, yeah, I, I, exactly. And I think you know what we saw in in Portland bears that out, right? When you don't have police engaged there, obviously we saw like we saw an assassination, uh, a, a politically motivated murder, and uh, but setting that to the side, what you saw otherwise was people in trucks defending themselves and doing it quite effectively against a bunch of, uh, you know, very, very flaccid attempts to prevent them from a bunch of Antifa folks. Uh, And I think that it is lost on them. And, you know, I saw all these videos and snapshots of the Antifa folks like begging the police to come and help them stop the cars or like tend to their wounded or whatever it was. Um, and, and you're right. I think it is lost on them because the the status quo protects and supports them whether or not they recognize it. And they do an amazing job of not recognizing it. You've called the Democratic uh, response flaccid twice. Try to work it in a third time uh, before the end of the podcast, because I think that is a great description for uh, what they're doing right now. Uh, I, but... I think that's fair. Yeah. OK. <laughs> but look, like but my libertarian opinion on this whole debate on, on what should be done to put the mob down, you know, to stop this violence. Yeah. You know, look, man, like. Of course, I have problems with modern policing. Of course, I have problems with the militarization of the police and and mm-hmm. and a lot of this stuff. Things like I, mean, I think the police unions need to be broken up. You know, stuff like yeah, this, right stuff, there with you. Stuff like no knock warrants, I think, are evil. I mean, it's you know despicable. But um, you know, look, I I am a lesser of two evils guy. Okay. Yep. Like I am. I'm an Ohioan. Okay. The bellwether state. My, you know, my state has has picked the president every four years since like 1882. Okay. Like I, I always will vote for the lesser two evils. I will pick whatever's preferable. And do I have major problems with the the cops, modern policing? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I also have specific things I think we should do about it, and most people don't. But um, <laughs> like, what's preferable? What's preferable? Large bands of violent, murderous communists destroying communities, destroying private property, killing people, or cops going in there and putting them down? Of course the cops are preferable. And most libertarians agree with that. I mean, I've heard, you know, like, you know, like uh, Austin Peterson, the the former LP presidential candidate. Now he's a a, a liberty-based radio host down in Missouri. He said he's voting for Trump, and he's fine with the cops going in there and putting this mob down. Yeah, Dave Smith, who's a, a comic and pop ca- podcaster, he's an anarcho-capitalist. He's an anarchist. He believes the state should not exist. He believes the state's evil. Okay, and he said, yeah, uh, I mean, the cops stopping the communist mobs is obviously preferable than the the other way around. Like, even if you think the cops should be privatized, still they're not mm-hmm. privatized now, and it's not going to happen today. So, what's preferable? I'm always going to choose what's preferable, what's more peaceful, yep. what's more you know going to lead to more prosperity. And so I, I'm fine with agents of the state going in and arresting every single one of these bastards. I have no problem with that. Yeah, man. I mean, I I hear you. And, like, that's the thing, too. Like, there's it, – it's one thing to be 
I, I think it is reasonable, uh, dare I say, even necessary to be deeply concerned with the way that modern policing works. I think yes. I think you I think I think you must be right. If you if you are concerned with liberty, you don't even have to be a libertarian. If you are someone who values the idea of liberty, then you should be deeply concerned with modern policing. Totally agree. But at some point, like you have to be able to kind of force rank the things that are of concern to you. And again, like the first role of government is to, to provide some measure of safety and security. And if you're willing to put something higher than that, then like, I don't know, man, like take, take a high school civics course, I yeah. guess. Like I, I just, it, it's lost on me that there, there's any sort of, um, there, there's any sort of calculation that goes into your thinking about what the government should do. That is that, that holds some value higher than that. Yeah, man. I mean, liberty can't exist. Private property can't exist. Yeah. When yeah, violent exactly. mobs of communists are running the streets. I guess it's not, this isn't tenable. It needs to stop. I mean, I can't, yeah. the extent the Democrats are going to try to beat Trump. And it's, it is just strange, too, that they, they chose extreme violence as their tactic, <laughs> you know, supporting, uh, you know, violence uh, on the streets as a tactic. But it's got to backfire. It has to backfire. I, and I know people, yeah, American voters have very short attention spans. Uh, the American voters, especially on the left, are, are very easily propagandized, unfortunately. I, I'm not trying to, you know, call the other side deplorable or anything. I'm not saying they're bad people. But I, I know a lot of people that are propagandized to pretty easily by leftist media. And, um, you know, but they, this tactic can't win, man. The hostage tactics, the, 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 the domestic terrorist tactics, they cannot win. They need to be stopped. Uh, and they yeah. need to learn from this. They they cannot learn that these tactics can be successful. They need to be destroyed. They need to lose across the ballot. You know, even I, the best thing for the Democratic Party moving forward is a Trump blowout where we the Republicans retake the House. You know what I mean? Like that that would yeah. honestly be beneficial for the Democrats. They'd realize they bet on the wrong horse. They yeah. realize that they betting on this leftist violent horse was wrong and evil and wouldn't work. And maybe they would kind of, you know inch towards the center maybe i don't know maybe i'm being a little too optimistic but yeah. I, I honestly think a, a crushing defeat would be better for the democratic party yeah i i hear you um and i think if you're if it's a universe of possibilities like let, let's say for now that the universe of possibilities is between a crushing trouncing defeat and like as as a guy who was pretty never trumpy going into this this is the same take that i think i had on the republican party going into 2016 is if it's a close loss then it's, oh, we should do what we just did, but maybe do a little bit more of it and right. we would have won. Right. But if it's a trouncing, then it's, wow, we, yeah, we, we hitched, we hitched our wagon on the wrong horse. We, we went with something different and it has been roundly rejected by Americans everywhere. And I think you're right. I think the Dems have a choice between like, is this like lukewarm champagne socialism approach that they, this progressive politics, they've infused their more traditional approaches with like, is it going to work or is it going to be rejected by everyday Americans? And I think you're right. I think if, if you are, if you're rooting in good faith as I, I am, and I'm sure you are too, that we can have two intelligent and stable parties. And if that's what you're hoping for, then the best way to walk away from staring down into that abyss has got to be a complete wipeout. Yeah, I agree. It has to be. Trump needs to win Minnesota. That, that's, I, I you know what will. I mean? That's I what needs to will. happen. But like, I, I can't imagine like after what's going like unless all of a sudden. There's, you know, people throw up their hands and the Democrats say, yeah, you know what? We fucked this one up. We got to walk this back. I can't I I don't see a universe where Trump isn't able to pull Wisconsin. Like, I, I think if you I think if you pulled the suburbs that, you, you know, that were maybe on the fence or are politically purple, if you if you pulled them in the next couple of weeks, 
they're probably like I think you're going to see overwhelming support for someone who says he's going to restore law and order. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I hope you're right. And uh, I actually am starting to believe that that you are right. You know, man, when I started this podcast in February 2017, I never thought I'd be sitting here in 2020 as like a hardline Trump partisan. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here we are. Drew, thanks so much, man. It's it's always a great time talking to you. And I'm sure we'll do it again soon. Where can everybody uh, follow you online and keep in touch and all that good stuff? Yeah, man, appreciate it, Brady. I mean, it's it's always my pleasure. I'm always happy to be here. And if, if folks are looking for me, best place to catch me is usually, unfortunately, on Twitter. But I promise I link to the other stuff I do. Uh, it's Drew Holden 360 on Twitter. Everybody uh, follow Drew. He's great. Everybody be on the lookout for the next uh, bomb-ass thread. I'm sure there's one coming <laughs> down the pike any second now. <laughs> uh, I would say, I think if, if I can get it up, you'll, you guys will all see one today. All right. I appreciate you, man. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Uh-huh.